You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Election College, episode number 257. Grover Cleveland, part two. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we've been talking about the Grover, and as we both know, his first name isn't really even Grover. What an imposter. It's Stephen, but he goes by Grover, and he's worked his way up all the way to the election of 1884, where he gets nominated, runs, and wins the presidency, takes office in 1885, and here we have him in, well, he just digs right in, uh, a whole mess right after the Civil War here, a couple couple decades after the Civil War, and corruption is abounding. And here we find our friend Grover. Yeah. The mustached man. Tell you what, you got to be very self-confident. And that's exactly what Grover does. He gets into office, and like you said, Ben, he's all about doing away with corruption. And what can be more corrupt than the spoil system, right? I mean... Come on. The spoil system. It even sounds horrible. It sounds like that <laughs> thing of yogurt that was in my refrigerator the other day and it had hair. Really gross. Yeah, that's what was going on in Thanks Washington. Thanks for sharing that with us. It was furry. It was totally crazy. I wanted to touch it. I didn't. But Grover Cleveland, he went in and said, this isn't right. I'm not going to just go in and appoint a bunch of democratic cronies or people who thought that they should receive a position just because they had the D after their name. No, he kept around some Republicans who were doing their jobs. And, you know, this didn't make a lot of Democrats very happy, but Grover was like, I'm going to do this. And I am by Jove going to reform the government and he creates in 1887 an act that is called the interstate commerce commission and he and the secretary of the navy uh, decided that they're going to modernize the navy and you crazy construction companies who have been doing subpar work you're out of here and guess what 
the railroad, you're going to do things legit. You're not going to just hold on to a bunch of land that isn't necessary. The taxpayers need to know that their government is handling their money well. And he's also vetoing a lot of bills. And by a lot of bills, a lot, Ben. There's even bills that are offering some compensation to Civil War veterans. And he is vetoing them because he's like, you know what? That's not really the government's position. That's not the government's role. People need to be lifting up their brother, their sister. They need to just do that without the government mandating that they should support these veterans. Go figure. That would not be popular today. No, and it wasn't popular then either, but that's what Grover Cleveland believed. And, you know, he made himself pretty well known to be a small government guy, which I think was probably contrary to what many people understood of him at the time. But there were lots of things that just kept coming up, and uh, he kept vetoing, the, vetoing them because they were an overreach by his estimation. He also was a big, not anti-silver, but pro-gold president. And this is during that time where that's super important when our money was actually backed by real value <laughs> and not just because we said it was. And so the debate was always whether or not silver or gold was uh, better to use. And you have all sorts of problems that kind of create some financial economic difficulties when, you know, we are dealing in silver a lot of times here and, that's how taxpayers pay their bills in silver. But meanwhile, all the people who were owing money to internationally, they're like, no, we want gold. And so the, the gold supply of the country goes down pretty drastically during this time. So it's a big contentious area. Uh, there's also a lot of different things that happen in Grover Cleveland's presidency. Uh, he has a big, um, well, his opinion on tariffs is that tariffs should be reduced in general. But uh, the Republicans are pretty much in favor of a high tariff to make sure that all of the industries that are run by Americans are protected, essentially, from foreign governments and foreign businesses. So by the 1880s, this tariff that's uh, happening is so high and working so well that the government actually has a surplus, which is just mind-boggling to think about. Yeah. Hey, Ben, speaking of surplus, that made me think of silver dollars. Do you have any silver dollars? I have a couple, yeah. Yeah. I've got some from this era mm -hmm. because they, you know, minted a ton of silver during right. this time and the treasury, they hung on to it and it wasn't released for... It's kind of an interesting story, but it wasn't released for a long time, like decades right. later, decades upon decades upon decades later. And I don't know if it's worth that much, but I don't know. It's kind of cool to have a coin from the 1880s, but I think a lot of people probably have coins from this era. Yeah, it's possible. So the military policy under Grover Cleveland was very much, hey, we are going to build up the military. We're going to modernize the Navy. We talked about the ships that 
were subpar and they were done away with. And there are ships that are being built during Cleveland's first administration that are lasting through World War One. some of them until World War II, believe it or not. And have you ever been to some of these forts that are, especially on the East Coast, a lot of them were modernized. Uh, so uh, you go to a place like Fort Sumter, um, there's a couple of forts in Florida that I've been to that have renovations from this era <laughs> where uh, Cleveland has done something about it. And, you know, the U.S. is not really a world power at this time militarily, but certainly the Navy becomes a player on the world scene. Another thing that Cleveland was really known for, aside from the aforementioned things, is his views on civil rights and immigration and things like that. So, you know, he is a northerner, and he pretty much sees Reconstruction as a failure. And really, in his position, doesn't want to, because of his limited government view, doesn't think that federal government should be enforcing the 15th Amendment. Uh, and that's the one that allows African-Americans to be able to vote. Uh, he thinks African-Americans should be allowed to vote, but that the government shouldn't necessarily be forcing it on other people. Uh, he also is not really one to appoint any black Americans to different jobs. Uh, maybe he didn't find them qualified or maybe it wasn't politically advantageous for him, but Frederick Douglass was the recorder of deeds in Washington, DC. And he allowed him to continue instead of replacing him. When he retires, Cleveland hires James Campbell Matthews, who was a judge in New York previously, uh, to replace him, who's also a black man. And nobody's really happy about that. Uh, but Grover Cleveland says he stands by it. Uh, of course, there's uh, all sorts of interesting dynamics happening with uh, Chinese Americans, Chinese immigrants. Uh, there's interesting things happening with the Native American tribes. And this is you know, some of the time where the United States really does a lot of detrimental things to the Native Americans as well. And so Grover Cleveland is like, hey, you know, uh, we need to do good things to help them along. And in reality, many of them, uh, things like the Dawes Act, really just sets them back further. So seems as though he had good intentions, but it was poorly played out. Yeah. Hey, Ben, with the whole uh, Asian American uh, deal. Yeah. Have you heard some of those stories where, um, you know, you have a Chinese American or should I say an American born to Chinese immigrants from this era and they'll go back to China uh -huh. to visit, you know, to go to where their parents are from and then try to come back to the United States and they have trouble coming back. Yeah. Wild, wild stuff. And this Definitely was just is. considered um, normal practice. And yeah, it's true. Places like San Francisco, you know, you've got Chinatown and uh, New York as well. But uh, really out West, you see that where it's like, well, these people are not assimilating into American society. And uh, the same thing goes with the Native Americans. You're not assimilating into white American society. So 
Um, if you're not going to do that, then forget you. Just a different way of looking at things. Yeah, kind of a slap in the face. Yeah. Well, it's during the first administration of Grover Cleveland that he marries Francis Folsom. And there is a lot to say about this union. Um, man, Ben, it's tempting just to dive right in, but we'll probably save it for yeah. <laughs> the episode. How do you like that tease? Oh, I like that. Yeah, when we do uh, the episode on Francis, we'll, we'll just include it all there. Anyway, he gets married to a lady named Francis. Yeah, and they have kids and stuff, but yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> By the time 1888 rolls around and it's time for our buddy Grover Cleveland and our other buddy Benjamin Harrison to run for president. the Are they all our buddies? They they are. Okay. I mean, Aaron Burr is Just make it sure. No, Ugh. he's not, but everyone else kind of is, um, different facets of people are right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Harrison and Cleveland go at it in 1888. And this is one of those elections that is very, very tight. And you're going to see this a lot, but especially in this era, it's, let's just, call a spade a spade. It's not very popular to be a Democrat in the 1880s. And it's a pretty big deal that Cleveland got elected in the first place four years earlier. Well, you got this guy, Benjamin Harrison, who of course is the grandson of our other buddy, William Henry Harrison. He wins the Republican nomination. And Cleveland has this campaign that is horribly managed. I mean, you got Bryce and Barnum. It's not P.T. Barnum, but might as well have been. They're they're running this campaign against these Republicans that are very slick and able to go out there and tell people about the tariff issues and how Cleveland is um, not in favor of really promoting American industry and so on. And then you've got this letter that the British ambassador writes that is supporting Cleveland, but causes a scandal. And you can hear more about that in our episode dealing with the election of 1888. Go back and tune into that. But they win the popular vote. Cleveland wins the popular vote, but he loses the electoral vote. And yeah, it was pretty controversial, but old Grover and Francis, they leave the White House. And Francis, of course, says, now Jerry, who's the staff member at the White House, I want you... Actually, she's only 21, so she's like, hey, buddy, I'm going to see you in four years, so take care of everything for us. Yeah, Francis says, we're going to be back here in four years, so, you know, just keep our stuff clean and nice and everything. Uh, of course, you know, it actually happens, which we'll get to here in just one second. Uh, but while... Grover Cleveland is a private citizen. He is pretty much just working in law firms and doesn't really make a whole ton of money, partially because he didn't also work a whole lot. Uh, he mostly preferred to go fishing, but you know, that's what he wanted to do. That was his life. So that's how they lived. Uh, the, the Harrison administration 
works to implement the Sherman Silver Purchase Act, which basically makes more money backed by silver. And of course, remember Cleveland says that's a bad idea when he's in office. Well, for a long time, he doesn't say anything until suddenly he sends an open letter to a bunch of people and he calls it, the, or not he calls it, but a bunch of people call it the silver letter and just happens to make everybody remember about Grover Cleveland again, especially the people who were upset about the whole gold silver thing, just as the election is rolling around. So election rolls around, the nominees are coming out, the, the convention's going to happen. Grover Cleveland is still a popular guy. People know who he is. Of course, he won the popular votes. He just made a big deal about something controversial. So, you know, they're really thinking about him. And certainly enough, Cleveland is nominated on the first ballot in the convention in Chicago. And for vice president, the Democrats are like, yeah, here's this guy, Adlai Stevenson from Illinois. Cleveland is like, I don't really prefer him, but hey, if they say he's the best, we'll take him. Yeah, and on top of this whole thing, you've got, well, there's several things going on on the Republican side. You got this guy named James Weaver, and out West, these Republican Westerners are like, hey, we like Weaver. And Harrison is like, no, don't do this to me. (laughs) And uh, you got this other thing going on that's just horrible is Carolyn Harrison Uh, Benjamin Harrison's wife, she dies on October 25th, just a couple of weeks before the election. And it was already a subdued campaign. There wasn't a whole lot of, um, you know, active campaigning going on. So things were already tame, but everybody just keeps a, uh, a low key after, after Mrs. Harrison passes away and Cleveland just basks in the fact that the Republicans are split and he's going to win. And that's exactly what happens. And that sounds all great. You know, you win an election. That's fantastic. But shortly after his second term starts, the panic of 1893 strikes and there's economic depression And the silver deal is causing more disruption. And there are all kinds of negative things happening because you've, you've got opposition from his own party in the Senate when it comes to tariff reform, you've got all kinds of labor issues that are going on, uh, such as the Pullman strike. That was a pretty big deal. Ben, we could probably do an episode on the Pullman strike. I don't know. Um, but yeah, then definitely. you also have issues of, um, where the U S government contradicts itself because you just had Harrison in office who strongly opposed Cleveland's policies. And one of the, the things for me, at least Ben, that brings this into light is the deal with Hawaii because Cleveland is kind of like, uh, I think it's good to recognize Hawaii as a um, an important partner, and you know, 
it sounds good to to work with the queen over there but you've got the business interests over there the american business interests over there who decide we're going to overthrow the queen and she's like whoa i've been overthrown and uh cleveland tries to you know bring some peace to the situation because most people are not favoring annexing hawaii but cleveland says um hey congress what do you think and congress is like well we kind of like hawaii and cleveland says okay uh i'm not going to talk about reinstating the queen and um i guess i'll work with this new republic of hawaii and that that was pretty controversial at the time still is among some people so in 1893 grover cleveland's like uh my mouth is a little bit sore and there's a big ulcer in my mouth and so he goes to his uh, white house doctor dr o'reilly and He's got some stuff going on in his mouth. They take a samples of a tumor that they found and send it off to the American Army Medical Museum. And uh, they send that anonymously, of course, so nobody gets panicked and thinks anything. And they send it back. They say it's uh, epithelioma, not malignant or anything, but still needs to be taken care of. So he wants to go and have his surgery secretly so make sure that nobody freaks out and the finances in, this, in the country gets worse. Uh so they want to make sure he also has it done before the upcoming congressional section session. So he goes and get, they go on a cruise. <laughs> it's kind of actually a cruise, but they, they said it was going to be a vacation cruise. Um, but they went up to New York and went out on a yacht that one of Grover Cleveland's friends owned while it uh, was out off uh, sailing off of, New, off of Long Island. So they basically removed some different parts of his upper left jaw and of his hard palate and kind of crazy how they were able to do that during this time with the uh, medical uh, advances that they didn't have at the time but they later then had to put in some uh, prosthetics and everything to correct his speech and make him not look like his mouth was all messed up basically and so they uh they put out a fake story about how he had two bad teeth that he got removed and fixed and everything and there were some some points where some information actually leaked about it and people were like, nah, that's, that's not true. <laughs> that didn't happen. So it was many years later that the truth actually came out uh, after Grover Cleveland passed away. Uh, one of the, one of the doctors came clean about what happened and that's how we know about it. But definitely interesting that he was like, okay, well I got something going on here. Uh, definitely need to go somewhere else so that nobody finds out about it. And why not do it on a boat? That seems logical. I can imagine what it would be like if it happened in today's climate. You know, you'd oh have somebody goodness. live tweeting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's my favorite story about Grover Cleveland. And I think that's probably everything you need to know. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff he did. Um, but he decides not to run again for president in 1896. And things get really interesting with the Democrats because William Jennings Bryan enters the scene. Can't wait to do some episodes. Uh, well, we're going to talk more about him as we have in the past, but a lot more to say. Oh, yeah. Um, but 
Cleveland decides to retire over in Princeton, New Jersey, and he uh, becomes a trustee at Princeton University. And, you know, he weighs in on some issues like women's suffrage. And he's like, no sensible woman who is educated is going to want to have the right to vote. Uh, yeah. And um, in 1906, some New Jersey Democrats were like, hey, buddy, uh, you want to run for Senate? And uh, Grover Cleveland's like, no, I don't think so. And by the time the fall of 1907 rolls around, he falls seriously ill. And in 1908, he suffers a heart attack at the age of 71. Ben, his last words were, I have tried so hard to do right. And I think that could be said. I, I think when it comes to a president who you can see the earnestness of his efforts, Grover Cleveland, he's right at the top there. I find it interesting that so many presidents have cool last words. Like, I feel like if, if I had the cognizance to know I was about to die and I was going to say something, it'd be something like totally stupid. I'd be like, don't forget the turkey on the counter. You know, like all, <laughs> all these presidents have like really profound, meaningful last words. And well, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I'd be like, um, my toe itches and I can't reach it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, if your toe itches, you should go ahead and leave us a review. I don't know why or how, but that's my opinion. Oh, man, and you should respect it. And go ahead and go over to iTunes and leave us a review there. We would really appreciate that, and it would mean a lot to us. We would do the little happy dance you hear so much about. Someday we'll record it and, and post it online or something. It's already a meme out there, I think. <laughs> uh, speaking of memes, uh, we love to interact with you. Yeah, you. Over there on social media, we are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram when we feel like it, at Election College. And, well, that's about all for this episode. Well, that is all for this episode. And we'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.